The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning, friends. Today I'd like to offer a few reflections, kind of picking up on the themes Mario Line and I have unpacked in the last few weeks on the benefit of attending to, giving a little bit more attention to wholesome states of heart and mind um, and incorporating those into this awareness practice, this open awareness practice that can often focus on hindrances or kalesas, things that are going wrong in ourselves and in the world. And the Buddha also taught that for the purpose of seeing mind states, of seeing more clearly, of addressing challenges, of freedom itself, it can be very helpful to really intentionally turn the attention to the good, discern between what's helpful and not helpful with an inclination towards noticing what's going right. So I'm just going to talk about that a little bit in the context of citta nupassana, mindfulness of mind or mindfulness of heart, as some people prefer to translate it. And there's a number of things that he talks about in the ancient teachings. One way to cultivate wholesome states on purpose is to creatively shift unwholesome states. And that means basically channeling. There's a number of ways you can do this. One is channeling unhelpful impulses to more and more beneficial impulses. There's an analogy or a simile in the the suttas, the ancient discourses of setting down people finding coarse hemp on the road and carrying that along for a while and setting it down when they find more refined flax or more refined cotton and eventually until finding gold. So setting down the less valuable mind state in favor of a more valuable mind state. And this can be a subtle discernment between positive and beneficial mind states as well. For example, exuberant joy is delightful. And at certain points in meditative practice, it may be more valuable to let that go in the favor of peace, tranquility. So not always seeking the high, if you will, It's even more obvious when what's going on in the mind isn't so helpful. Impulses of greed, hatred, delusion, of um, self-recrimination or self-criticism that are so common. And then it becomes sometimes a little bit trickier to work with. Something that Andrea Fella would often talk about, I think I'll use slightly different language than she did, is recognizing the wish to be happy underneath these impulses. That almost always, and the Buddha talks about this, the Dalai Lama talks about this, that these misguided impulses are some kind of strategy, a strategy that's not working so well to keep us safe or make us happy. So one way of working with an unhelpful doubt of, for example, self-criticism in the moment, 
is to drop underneath or zoom out a little bit and notice, notice what's underneath that dialogue or that impulse. And almost always, it's some kind of wish to be safe or happy. Almost always. The delusion, the greed, the delusion is that greed or aversion are going to make us better somehow, right? If I get that thing away from me, I will be happier. Or if I get that thing, I will be happier. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't noticed it working very consistently after that moment of getting or getting away. The mind goes back to whatever the mind was doing. So to notice that too. This wish to be happy is often a doorway into directly cultivating the wholesome states, even in the midst of what a number of teachers call a multiple hindrance attack. A, oh, like, I'm angry about my anger, and I'm angry about my greed, and I'm deluded about the entire ball of wax. Stepping back. And noticing. Noticing any wisdom that might be there. Oh, this is unpleasant. Even something as simple as that. Oh, it's complicated. Stepping back. Stepping back to the observing mind. I'll use an example here. Um, Greed. There's a lot of greed in this season for many people. There can be a lot of loneliness too. So pick pick your... unpleasant mind state. But under the greed, for example, for a person's company or for a certain object under the Christmas tree, if we're younger, sometimes even if we're not younger, finding any metta or respect or joy or sense of self-development, wish for things to be better, that's underneath that. And tapping into it. Tapping into it. So that's one way to look at things. These to um, cultivate wholesome states around even difficulty is to start to notice the wholesome that is mixed up within the unwholesome. Underneath it, around it. Another way is to meet whatever is happening with a very clear-eyed mindfulness. And that in itself, for many people, has an element of compassion or kindness baked right into it. Just the willingness to be present with can be considered a form of love. So... In my own experience, I remember this, this is a retreat experience. This is kind of a blend of this awareness of awareness practice and these cultivating positive states, right? And there was one retreat where I had a back injury. I literally got the back injury the first day of the month long retreat. And so I was in pain for weeks and um, the mind was noticing the pain, noticing the pain, noticing the pain. And then 
because of practicing this form of open awareness and this form of chitta nupasana, mindfulness of mind states, there was this habitual glance back at the awareness itself. It's like, not even, it wasn't even like a strong one. And what was there, all that was there was compassion. And that shifted things completely, shifting to the observing heart, the observing mind can shift how we're relating to experience. And some of you have heard me say this many times, how we relate to experience is core to Buddhist practice. Where we stand. There's, um, I'll, I'll walk it down a little bit to an interpersonal example. So I was for some years a hospital chaplain and um, one of my roles was if someone was really upset, like in a lobby or a waiting room, they would send me. And so my job was to walk up to someone who was extremely angry or very sad and emoting loudly and engage with them. And it was amazing. I'm remembering one particular gentleman. He had pretty good reason to be mad. He was a family member of a patient. And walking up to him and just meeting him with care and attention and curiosity. And it was absolutely amazing. His situation didn't change, but the feeling of being cared for shifted his attitude completely. Just that caring awareness. So this works in our own minds too, right? The same stuff can be moving through, but it feels a lot different. Another way is um, taking a step back. So this is very similar to what I was just talking about with and finding the, um, the compassion and the observation or the care and the observation. Sometimes attending to the quality of observing itself can be a very powerful shift, whatever that quality is. I used to um, call this using Vipassana koans. This is a technique that Andrea Fella kind of refined. It's my name, but it's her technique. Where um, it's asking questions about present moment experience. And if you ask them about the quality of awareness itself, it kind of short circuits the brain sometimes. So what's the quality of awareness in this moment right now for you? Is it focused, distracted, expansive, contracted, loving, interested? The words don't really do that justice. It's tapping in to the question. It might not have a verbal answer at all. Awareness itself might answer. And that is a very wholesome state. Very wholesome. So if I'm caught up in greed, it's always possible to take a step back and notice the awareness of the greed. And maybe that awareness has some in it. Taking a step back and noticing what that's like. 
What's the observation of that? There could be successively different attitudes of heart and mind. Somewhere in there, often, there's just pure awareness of it. And that can be equanimous, peaceful, compassionate. Sometimes for a split second, but it doesn't take long to shift a mind state. One of my favorite Thai forest tradition teachers, Achan Suchito, says, the chitta, the mind, changes faster than a horse's tail. Flick of a horse's tail. Faster than a finger snap. It's tuning in to that shift. Tuning in. So awareness of whatever state is happening, maybe it's patience, maybe it's okayness, maybe it's trust, that can become the new primary state of heart and mind. It's recursive in a really beautiful way sometimes. And then to shift to another thing, that awareness of what state is happening, the mindfulness itself is such an important ally because that means within that finger snap, there's choice. I remember on another retreat, this was many years ago, and I was having a lot of difficulty with someone. I'd had a very difficult conversation with them just before the retreat. This was before I learned that one does not do that the day of a retreat opening. <laughs> just don't go there. And um, so my mind was just about this conversation. And um, it would drop it and then it would come up again and drop it and come up again. And I see some smiles. A couple of you recognize this. <laughs> yes. And, um, I, you know, there was enough. If the mindfulness was strong. This was an awareness of awareness retreat. It was a long retreat. Um, but even that little sort of cycle, that little dust devil would just keep coming through. And then one fine day, the mind got distracted, but was aware in the distraction and moved away to something else. And there was just complete peace. The recognition of that split second of peace shifted the relationship to that vexing thought pattern. And it actually never came back as strongly after that. Because, it was, oh, it's as simple as shifting attention away from it and leaving it there. Okay. It takes practice. And as we all know, our minds won't let go if we just say it. They'll let go when they're ready. But to be attuned to that split moment of separation from the un unpleasant is a powerful tool, faster than a finger snap. So all of this is about learning, cultivating conditions helpful for inviting wholesome states. It's a discernment process, ever-increasing mindfulness, ever-increasing discernment. And it benefits from certain attitudes in of itself, some of which I've talked about. Acceptance, or at least acknowledgement, rather than contention. Contention just builds more energy. Patience or relaxation. I would add trust here. Rather than being in a hurry 
for something to change. Trusting the organic nature of process. Gentleness. Allowing. Receptivity. Rather than forcing or demanding. Allowing for not knowing rather than being certain, having to be right. You can feel the difference in these, right? Even as I'm talking about them, they feel different in the mind. And as all of you know, I'm sure it's also, as we did for a very few minutes this morning, to intentionally cultivate the positive states, wholesome states directly through the power of intention, creative imagination, repeated application of attention. And I'm talking here, of course, about cultivating the immeasurables, metta, goodwill, karuna, compassion, altruistic joy, or empathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity. And I mentioned this in part, we don't talk about that intentional cultivation so often in this group. And I'm mentioning it because it can be a huge ally in pure awareness practice, just to do a little bit of it and then to let go of it and notice the difference. This becomes again, Dhamma Vichaya, awareness or mindfulness of mind states. Noticing the difference in a mind after that cultivation versus a mind before it. Or if there happens to be kindness or patience or love or compassion or whatever it is in the mind, that can become a sort of set point or a reference point to notice anything that isn't. Which, and that's not a mistake, right? If I'm generating metta and what I'm getting is irritation, I'm noticing Okay, the irritation standing out in really sharp relief right now. That too is an enhancement of Dhamma Vichaya. It's also a purification practice. So this is part of what to do once you notice a wholesome state. If it wanders through, comes to the drinking hole, is notice everything that's not it if other stuff comes along. And then turning attention to it, even if it's just for a moment, and learning to appreciate, notice, savor that kind of moment. Oh, non-reactivity. Oh, that feels good. That invites more of it. Noticing and appreciating any beneficial conditions in the mind or your situation that might support a beneficial mind state. Could be as simple as having enough sleep, making time to go on a walk, appreciating the sound of the rain, whatever it is, noticing beneficial conditions and attending to those conditions including conditions like mindfulness, patience, 
non-clinging, the powerful power of intention itself. One of the real shifts for me in my metta practice, I did a, a sustained amount of intensive metta loving kindness practice as a nun in Burma. And the day that I cultivated appreciation and metta for the impulse of love itself changed my practice completely. There's something about appreciating positive qualities of mind. And the Buddha talks about this all the time. Well, not all the time, but often in the suttas of appreciating our own virtues. And here in the West, it can come across as if egotistical or somehow not okay to do. It has a purpose. That appreciation, that care for the virtue helps the virtue to build whatever it is. So it's actually a really beautiful feedback loop. It doesn't mean not acknowledging the stuff that's not so great. It gives us more strength to do that if we're honest with ourselves and kind. So what else to say here? As I was just saying, from the perspective of cultivating the path to freedom, not only are these wholesome states of mind, brief or long, pleasurable and of themselves, they're onward leading. They're onward leading. So it can be powerful to invite them. It doesn't work to demand them generally. You don't want to use metta to paste over problems or compassion to squish down other emotions, right? However, if they're invited, they might show up more often. And the trick then is to be kind and gracious when they don't show up. You know, you invite someone to dinner and they're not able to make it. Which works better? Another kind invitation at another time with gracious understanding or calling them and saying, I can't believe you canceled on me. You couldn't make it. What's the more likely repeat visitor there? The same with our own minds. Be gracious when they don't show up. And notice and appreciate any glimmers, no matter how small, of tranquility, calm, goodness, mindfulness, spaciousness, kindness, compassion, joy in yourself, and appreciate it in others. That increases the number of times it happens by a lot. A whole lot. That laugh with a stranger in the grocery store. A shared appreciation of a flowering tree with a neighbor that kind of thing. So, just an encouragement in these long and dark nights to take some time to notice the beautiful qualities that emerge, no matter how small, and to bring the same kind of gentleness and patience to your practice in this season of winter. Thank you for your kind attention. Take what's useful. Please leave the rest.
Well, we have time for questions, comments, insights. If anyone wants them, I'm leaving the recording on. Um, if you want it not to be on, chat me. Eileen, yes, hi. Hi, everybody. Um, forgive me if this is, I'm, I'm very new to this receptive awareness practice. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand is what you're saying is if I'm practicing receptive awareness, I might want to expand uh, expand what I notice, but not go looking. Yes. Generally speaking, with a few, you know, there were a few moments that I talked about directly cultivating, but exactly. Expand what you notice and especially um, take time and care to notice what's going well. It counters our negativity bias. Right. So without hanging on to it, without trying to make it happen, to notice when it arises and savor it and appreciate it. But am I... I could have sworn Andrea said, don't look for things. Like if I'm out and on a walk, you know, I don't necessarily look for the birds. I just experience the object or notice the object or I'm aware of the objects. So yes. it's okay for me. Like if I'm in doing receptive awareness and let's say I'm noticing a lot of aversion, it's okay for me to maybe look at that and be aware of that, but if I don't want to stay with it that long, I can cultivate meta? I mean, that's one approach. So to be okay. very clear, Eileen, I'm not, this talk was about combining cultivating wholesome states with receptive awareness. It's not okay. pure receptive awareness. Okay. And if this is a process that's been, I've been a student of Andrea's for many, many years. This is a process that's been helpful for me. So there's different approaches you can take. The one you just talked about is one that the Buddha talks about where you're basically trying to replace one experience or emotion with another, like using one peg to drive out another in a hole. And that's no longer receptive awareness practice. And there are times it's skillful to do that. Other approaches, like I talked about, are to take a step back and to notice the attitude towards the aversion and see if there's any patience there or see if there's any other qualities there. So there's a number of moves you can make. Um, but the pure receptive awareness itself, that I'm, I'm advocating noticing mind states within it that are, so noticing, for example, wish to be happy under the aversion, right? The aversion wants something to be different for the purpose of you feeling better, right? Right. Right. And to use your analogy of the walk, not looking for the bird, but when the bird flies by, appreciating the bird. Okay. I think I do understand. I, I think that what will be really helpful for me is that I can expand my awareness, notice I'm going to make this simple, good and bad, or wholesome and unwholesome. But if that doesn't work, I can also use this cultivation of wholesome states. Yes. Or not necessarily work. I, that's just another tool that I have in my toolbox. Yes. Okay. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for the questions. Great questions. Anybody else?
Yes. Hi, Kate. And then, sorry. About, I think, doing metta for the goodness in you, the good feeling in you. Is that right? It's actually doing metta for the intention or, or sending appreciative regard to the intention of metta itself. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of it as like, if, if I notice like a feeling of love or, you know, goodness to then actually stop for a second and go send metta to that feeling. You can do that too. That's absolutely fine. Either way, you're getting at the intention, but I guess okay. um, yeah. I'm, I'm just refining what you said because you don't even have to have the feeling to do it. Uh huh. You can uh -huh. have the wish to do it, uh -huh. the wish to have the feeling or the intention for the feeling. And then still kind of, I think of it as sending metta to it, but it's more like sending appreciation to it in a way. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Just play with it. Play with it. Yeah, see. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, Mark Nunberg had a had a in his um, meta things. There was one about like something like may may this may this may goodness increase and last forever or something. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't exactly that because the last one would of course be grasping, but it was like it was about may this increase and in something and. That was kind of what I was thinking yeah. of sending that kind of thing to it. Exactly. The other, the other question was about the non-reactive mind. Yeah. So if non-reactivity, if there's non-reactivity, is, is there a positive name for that mind? Is that innately awareness or is that innately? I mean, if the mind has not, is, is non-reactive, there's no reactivity in the mind. What is that mind? So rather than answering that question for, for you. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm going to ask you to investigate it. Yeah. Investigate it. Find out. It's such a beautiful question. And um, rather than needing to draw words around it or a mm -hmm. box around it, like check it out. There's yeah. a whole range. You may notice that in the Buddha's teachings, often it's via negativa, right? Um, it's. Mm. It's like metta, for example, is often a cognate with non-hatred, avera. Mm -hmm. And the reasoning behind that is, I mean, metta is an absolutely beautiful state. Non-hatred is a vast territory uh -huh. of uh -huh. beautiful states. Non-reactivity is a vast okay. territory. So I, okay. check out the ecology. See what it's yeah. Like. Well, I'm curious about it because like at the end of my time in Maui, Kamala commented, she said something about you know, there's not as much reactivity. There's more, you know, there's more non-reactivity. And I was kind of like, okay. And then I said, so you mean that I'm not meeting when something arises, I'm not meeting it with greed or hatred or delusion or, you know, whatever. But as you were talking about non-reactivity today, again, it, it just sort of came up and it was like, okay, so what is non-reactivity? So I will, I will explore that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be good because, if something arises and you don't react to it, there's got to be something good going on in the mind and heart to not have grabbed onto it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would love to hear what you, what you discover. <laughs> okay. I'll report back. <laughs> okay. Thank you. My name is Leslie. Uh, she kind of answered it talking about feelings, awareness, of awareness 
states of mind versus feelings. And I kind of help out with these Alateen kids on Tuesday nights. And I was just thinking about this morning is um, getting one of those feeling uh, wheels like those. Yeah, you know, and I was like, oh, I bet I could print some of those out. And it might be kind of helpful to see, you know, or, you know, what they're feeling. Because I even have a hard time seeing maybe in the moment. But it, it's, it's just amazing how easy it is to forget this. And then I just really appreciate your talk. So kind of like feelings versus awareness. Are they the same thing? Not really. No. <laughs> and I, I, I actually would love to hear you do or know about you doing the same investigation that Kate and I just talked about. Check it out for yourself. Where Where's the blurry? The feelings and the awareness, the feelings can certainly, and here I'm using both emotions and Vedana, feeling tone, can infuse the awareness and shift our experience completely. And then there's other times where it's possible to tease them apart. So just check it out, see what's possible. Thank you. And um, yes, Peggy, hi. Hi. Um, I hope I can get this out in a sensible way. And I'm not sure if it might add too much else to the conversation, but it, it seems to relate and also to what Leslie just said. When you talk about driving out unwholesome states, you know, part of me gets and then part of me has some aversion because and maybe it's too much analysis, like what about learning the origin of these unwholesome states or the conditions that brought them up? But then I I thought about um, nonviolent communication mm-hmm. and how, you know, they um, the instruction is to notice what feelings are underneath and then what needs. And I thought maybe this awareness is sort of the same process, just in different words so we're getting more to the core of of it without the story so much that's a beautiful way to look at it and that's definitely one way awareness can start to tease apart um, whatever the story is right dropping to the needs underneath the wish underneath whatever that is There, there are many ways that it can can go and yes, they're roughly analogous and nonviolent communication has a lot of mindfulness in it. Right? Yes. So, um, so it's not a coincidence that they're similar. <laughs> um, can, is there more? I think I maybe didn't hit your whole question there or get to your whole question. I think you got it maybe. I think because okay. that's what occurred to me that this can help with with that. And it's just little subtle differences in the words we use maybe to describe it and be more aware. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thanks. Wonderful. Thank you. And I thought I saw someone else's hand go up at the same time. Did I miss somebody? Somebody. June. Yeah. Hi. Hey, Don. Yeah. I just, um, I enjoyed this talk, especially when you mentioned about when there is a version coming up, checking the attitude. Is there patience? Normally, I would check, is there acceptance? I think patience brings another, um, another dimension, yeah, to, to, to the attitude. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll practice with that. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Jill. 
to uh, circle back for a moment to the beginning of Peggy's question. I did remember the part I didn't address. This, um, this simile of using one peg to drive out another peg, one, one state to drive out another state, that is, um, that's not pure receptive awareness, right? This, again, is the Buddha had so many teachings about working with our minds. And for me, that, that com it comes from a specific sutta. Um, I believe Maria Line has taught in this group on that sutta, working with distracting thoughts or the removal of distracting thoughts. And basically, all of those techniques in that sutta, that one being the first of them or one of the first, are for when things are overwhelming the awareness, when the awareness can't just hold it and tease it apart naturally, then it's time to bring in other specific ways of working with our minds. So um, you certainly don't need to go looking for trouble or looking for techniques. You know? <laughs> and the Buddha offered a lot of them in case it's not quite in case of emergency, but you know, it's, it's in case of need. Any other thoughts or insights from your own practice you want to talk about? So, uh, Dan, so regarding this, um, using one pack to drive out another pack, mm -hmm. so I have a little bit of confusion regarding, is this a suppression or, um, or are we supposed to come back? Maybe say we practice matter to to let go to forget not to 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 let go of a strong aversion so once we come down i guess we 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 can come back right otherwise would that be considered to be a suppression of emotion of thoughts and emotions so um we're talking again here about emotions and thoughts that have kind of gotten unruly so it's not a matter of squishing them or making them go away permanently. This is not a spiritual bypassing technique. It's a way to get the awareness strong enough to hold whatever is going to arise. So temporarily replacing that resentment story I'm on, or whatever it is, I'm picking a random example here, right? With looking up at the sky and noticing seeing, or with practicing metta for self is a way of temporarily disidentifying enough from the thought to be able to then see it as an event coming and going in the future. So when I, when you say returning, yes, returning to awareness, absolutely. And um, I want to caution, like not necessarily to intentionally return to the thought, right? We don't, again, we don't need to go looking for trouble. Um, sometimes our minds just get caught up in a predisposition, a kind of a loop. And it can be a real kindness to step out of that. And then perhaps one is able to see the loop as a loop and not get caught in the story the next time it comes up. Does that address your question, June? Or is yes. there more? Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Coming back to awareness. I, I like that. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And again, this isn't all pure receptive awareness, what we're talking about today. We're talking about ways of 
broadening the scope of it mostly, of noticing the beauty that's there, of noticing the goodness underneath or around, and um, alternatives to do, you know, break glass in case of emergency, so to speak. <laughs> um, so there are things to play with. And if it's helpful, use them. And when, it, when you don't need them, by all means, open awareness is an incredibly powerful practice. And, and I'll encourage you to continue with it. So friends, we're at the end of our formal time. I'll stay on for a couple minutes if anyone wants to say hi or check in. But meanwhile, I just want to say thank you for your practice and dedicate our practice to all beings. So um, let me get back to share screen. May our practice here together be a cause and condition for greater awareness, wisdom, peace, and freedom in our hearts and lives and in all of the hearts and lives that we touch, rippling outwards through us and through others until all beings have greater peace, freedom, and awakening. Thank you all for your practice.